You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. If you have your Bible, and I certainly hope you do, I want to encourage you to make your way to the 23rd Psalm. If you're using one of the pew Bibles underneath you, that'll be on page 483. Uh, By now you probably have this memorized, so let's go ahead and read the whole thing and get the context, and then we get the joy of digging into the fourth verse today. Here's the 23rd Psalm. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I have what he needs. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Let's pray. Father, speak to us this morning from this verse. Lord, move in our souls. We're calling upon the Holy Spirit to illuminate what's here for us. To remind us what you've said. To to show us what we've seen in our morning devotional readings or evening devotional readings. To show us, Lord, something of you. In times, Lord, when we need you the most. So God, we just want to be humble hearts, open to receive what you have for us. And Lord, I would ask humbly that you would speak through this prepared sermon, through the preparation and through the delivery even now. Lord, this would honor you and glorify you and transform the lives of your people. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're taking a deep dive into the fourth verse. And um, as we've been doing each week, we're we're just meditating on and kind of camping out in just that one verse each week so that we have a bigger understanding of this beautiful, beautiful psalm. And so if you would just look back down at your Bible at that fourth verse. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, my... My concern today is that most Christians do not trust this verse. They don't live by it because they don't believe it. And this might be you this morning. This might be some of us. So my aim today is to help us understand what's actually being said here so that we might trust what God is is giving us from this psalm. And then hopefully we can make the same profession just like David did that we can say and mean it, even when I go through the darkest valleys, I fear nor danger, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you are a Christian, you have no reason to fear because Jesus is with you. If you're a Christian, you have no reason to fear because Jesus is with you. Now, I've said it every week, but I'll just say it again. I think it's a good reminder. We are looking at poetry. We are looking at an analogy, an illustration that God is using. Uh, And it's important that we understand the illustration and what's happening in the poetry. So most of you probably by now remember because I keep saying it. In this particular kind of poem, we have two clauses in the statement. And the first clause is making the main point of that statement. And then the second clause in the statement is giving us clarification. It's qualifying the first clause. And let us remember that we're looking at an illustration between sheep and a shepherd 
And that illustration teaches us something about our relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to take it in the same two clauses. That's what I've been doing every time. And if it's helpful, some of you might have struggled through school. The clause break is where the semicolon is. So we're going to look at this in two parts, up to the semicolon and then after the semicolon. So let's just jump right into the first clause. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear more danger, for you are with me. That's the, the main point. That's the main sentence. And I need to address, for some of you who are very familiar with the King James, I need to address the elephant in the room. Darkest valley? Come on. I mean, the valley of the shadow of death. Why aren't we saying that? Why, doesn't it, why don't we go with that? That's awesome. It has a great ring to it. Makes a, a great line, doesn't it? It's very poetic and it's very wonderful. Let's talk about that for a minute. The Hebrew word here for darkness is salmaveth. It's, it's this dark word. It's kind of a weird word. It means darkness. It means deep darkness. It means gloom. It means deep shadow or it could mean death shadow. Now it's important to remember that words have a range of meaning. We use English words all the time. They mean things and they don't mean everything. Right? You can light a fire or you can fire somebody or you can fire a cannon. Right? And that doesn't mean everything at the same time. There's a range of meaning. This word gets used 16 times in the Old Testament. And most of the time it does not say the valley of the shadow of death. It usually says gloomy or dark or darkness. So how do we get this here? Well, in 132 B.C., this group of 70 folks were translating, they had finished the translation of the Old Testament written in Hebrew into Koine Greek, common language Greek, so that Greek readers who didn't read Hebrew could read or understand the Old Testament. That's called the Septuagint. It's usually marked with an LXX, which is Roman numeral for 70. The Septuagint translated the word right here in the 23rd Psalm, verse 4. They translated the word into the Greek words, skyasthanatu. Now, that probably doesn't mean a lot to you, but it means shadow and death. And they're in what's called the genitive case, which actually means the best way to translate it is the shadow of death. Okay, so now that translation did this, and we go, well, did they get it wrong? I don't know. It gets a little more complicated because... They also translated the same word in Isaiah 9-2. They took that Salmaveth word and they translated what we would read in our Old Testament or in the Hebrew, land of darkness. Those Septuagint translators translated it as the land of the shadow of death. That's how they understood that. Now you could say, well, maybe they just got it wrong. Maybe they weren't very good translators. But I would caution you maybe not to go that far. Because Matthew inspired by the Holy Spirit, copied, took from, quoted Isaiah 9-2. He did that in Matthew 4-16. And when he did that, he used the Septuagint approach to the translation, and we ended up with the shadow of death language in his quote. Inspired by God. So it seems to me that maybe God in Isaiah 9-2 had an intention that the meaning would have something to do with very serious darkness, which is an illustration for very serious lostness. Darkness, death, light, life. We understand those themes from the book of John, right? We understand that Jesus is the light. We see that throughout the Bible. It seems like that was the case in Isaiah 9-2, that the shadow of death is a pretty good line. It's poetic and it sounds cool. 
So it makes sense there. However, it's really important that we remember that what we're reading in the first four verses of the 23rd Psalm is an illustration about sheep, actual sheep. Let's not read ourselves into those sheep yet. Let's get the illustration. And an actual shepherd who has the job of tending actual sheep. Okay, so we have an illustration there. We need to remember that illustration. So we don't want to read into this situation. And so when a sheep is in a dark valley, it's not talking about the salvation, the spiritual salvation of a sheep. It's not talking about these dark and light themes for the sheep. It's talking about the sheep's ability to see. This isn't a hard path. It's not a rocky path. It's in the valley. The problem is the sheep cannot see. The sheep can't see where they're going. The sheep can't see the path they're on. The sheep can't see if just lurking out there in the grass in the valley is danger. Are there wolves out there? What are we doing? Where are we going? And if you're a sheep, that sounds really scary. There's no moonlight. There's no starlight. There's no torches because this is serious, serious darkness. Not kind of dark, but like death dark. Hardcore dark. Can't see anything. Completely dark. It's a poetic way of saying this is a dark place for a sheep and sheep don't want to be there. But the point of the illustration is to say that even when the sheep can't see, even when there's no idea what's out there, no idea where they're going, no idea the path we're on, no idea about the dangers, the sheep is not afraid. He says, I fear no danger in this valley. That's what's happening for the sheep. Why? Well, it's right there in the text. For you are with me. So for the sheep and for the shepherd in that illustration, the sheep doesn't have to be afraid because the sheep sees the shepherd is there or at least knows the shepherd is there even if the sheep can't see the shepherd and there's no reason to fear in the dark valley because two times before it says he leads me, the shepherd leads me. That's verses two and verse three. So the sheep is in a place where normally if you didn't have the shepherd there, the good shepherd, you'd be terrified. Sheep's not afraid. Because the shepherd is with the sheep. No fear, no worries, no problem. Now, what does that sheep-shepherd illustration show us over here when we take that? It's okay, I've learned something from that. Now, how do I apply that illustration to my relationship with Jesus? There's a few things. The first is this. We do not need to be afraid because Jesus is with us. No reason for fear. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus is is with us. Next, the dark valley, even if it's so dark, it's the valley of the shadow of death, it's, it's pitch black, is not necessarily a rocky path for us. It's not necessarily that kind of difficult time. It's not necessarily when we're on the doorstep to passing from this life to the next. It's not that. I've seen people there and they're not acting like they don't know where they're going. They can see. Sometimes in these great difficulties, we can see where the path is taking us. It's just that the path is hard. We can see where we're going. We're just not sure if we want to go there. We can see what's out there. This is actually saying sometimes there's seasons in our life, individually or as a, as a whole collection of people, where we can't see where we're headed very well. We can't see what's out there. We can't see where we're at. There's a lot of unknown. So this isn't necessarily about difficulty. It's about the unknown. 
I lost a son. Lived for about 15 minutes. It was really hard, exceedingly difficult. That season for me and my wife was a difficult season. But I could see the path. I could see where Jesus was leading me. It wasn't one of these seasons. It wasn't the dark season. It was difficulty in a different way. I went to Iraq the first year of the war there. There were numerous times when I really didn't have the confidence that I was going to come home alive. But that wasn't one of these seasons. I felt very close to Jesus, and I could see where he was leading me, and I could see where we were going in the long run, and I could see the path I was on. I could see the dangers that were out there, physical dangers, sure, but spiritual dangers too, dangers of not trusting him and not following him. I could see it. It wasn't a dark season. I was not in the darkest valley in that season. But as a matter of fact, these last couple of years, I have found myself in a dark valley. I've looked around. I said, where the heck are we going? What's out there? What, Jesus, what path do you have me on? What, what are we doing right now? What's the future out there? Are there dangers lurking? I don't know. I can't, I'm, I can't see them. So I felt like more lately I've been in a season of darkness far more than other seasons of difficulty. It is difficult, but I certainly struggle in this season. Maybe you feel that way too. It wouldn't be hard right now. I mean, the political situation is nonsense. Things that are going on in our community and even around the world are confusing. They're difficult. Inflation causes us to be nervous about the future and nervous for our children. Supply chain issues make going grocery shopping really unpleasant. The moral norms, the things that we've anchored our nation to are rapidly changing. And we're confused by that, and we struggle by that, and it seems like the nation is hotly divided. People against people, neighbor against neighbor. We don't know where the dangers are. We don't know where we're going. We don't even know what path we're on. And it seems it's just dark. It seems that I I don't know what's up and what's down. It's just too many unknowns right now. Maybe you feel that way right now. Many of you have expressed confusion and difficulty, and it just, you're maybe like me going through these ups and downs in this dark valley. You just can't see. It's in these seasons, and it's fascinating if you look at it. It's in these seasons when the pundits and the talk show hosts, radio people, and the internet bloggers, and all of them, they get this huge voice, they get more traction. More popularity, more ratings. Why? Because people are looking for a voice in the darkness. We want somebody to tell us what's going on. We want to know somebody is out there helping us and leading us and guiding us. So the money experts, they get a lot more attention. The 24-hour online news media, they start selling a lot more advertising because they have a lot more viewers, and the viewers watch for longer. Certain kinds of politicians, the ones who thrive in this environment, get heaps more money, heaps more support, heaps more attention. But often these voices, the ones that people turn to, keep us afraid. And they keep us in the dark. They tell us that they are the light. They're replacing Jesus' role here. I have the answers. I have the light. But in order to keep you in that place... 
They have to tell you how scary the dark is all the time. And so they leave you in a place where you're more afraid. Look at the darkness. Look at the darkness. You need me. That's what they all say. And truthfully, they just profit from the whole game. Talk show host's job is not to tell you everything you need. It's to keep you watching the TV show. Here's a test for you. If you've turned to some of these voices, if you've turned to some of these sources, here's an easy test for you, and I encourage you to be honest. When you watch or when you listen to these voices, do you feel less afraid or more afraid when you're done listening? Do you feel less comforted or more comforted? What's it producing in you? Fear? Comfort? Confidence? Are you more angsty? Or less angsty? Are you more afraid of the dark? Or are you comforted and less afraid? If they are not a voice that's causing you to feel comforted and without fear, shut it off. They're just preying on your fear. Cut it out. Let it go. It won't hurt you. I've talked to people who've let go of social media, and guess what? They say, I'm the better for it. I turned off that 24-hour news, not hurting me one bit. If you don't feel less afraid and more comforted, they're just trying to replace Jesus' voice in your life. Let it go. Now, it's fascinating. The world goes to those voices, but so do Christians. Christians struggle just as much as the rest of the world. And then we have some additional things the rest of the world doesn't go to. Now, this is just one example. But there's usually a substantial uptick in the end times interest in difficult seasons when our nation is at a whole in these difficult places. When, we hold, when a lot of us are going into these dark seasons, there's more scholarship on end time study and there's more books published, especially, especially on rapture theology. We see this during the Civil War and the fallout after the Civil War. Lots of scholarship and commentaries published. We see this during the Great Depression. Lots of scholarship and commentaries and books published in end times theology. There was a huge uptick after Kennedy was assassinated. And then in the tumultuous 70s, like everybody was looking to end times all of a sudden. And we're seeing it again in these past few years. All of a sudden there's more books, more study, more interest, more voices, more YouTube channels, all focused on end times. Now, for some, it's about escapism. They're saying, look, just get me out of here. I don't care where. I just don't want to be here. I'm, I'm, when that trumpet blows, I'm gone. I'm out. See ya. Check, please. I'm done with this. That's what some people are, 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 are taking this whole thing to be. Now, the problem with escapism theology is that it's focused on the self rather than on the king. It's focused on on us rather than Jesus. See, I don't want my physical situation, I want my physical situation to be better rather than I want to be wherever Jesus is and I want whatever Jesus wants and I want to go wherever he leads me even when he leads me into the darkest valley. It's escapism theology. It's not really a love of Jesus, it's just a dislike for here. Now, that's not the case for everybody. It's not escapism for everyone. Some people, they just really want to be with Jesus. And I don't blame him in the slightest. I really want to be with Jesus. Paul really wanted to be with Jesus. Really bad. In Philippians 1.21 he says, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. 
But I want to encourage you, we listen to Paul in the context of his desire. It's very informative. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 21 through 26. It's on page 1040. Sorry. Philippians 1, verses 21 through 26. This is Paul's heart. Very helpful. Paul says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now listen to this wrestle that he has. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He's talking about the church in Philippi, but he's also talking about us who are reading his letters even right now. Verse 25, since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you and your boasting in Christ may be may abound. I'm thankful that, that Paul continued to serve and we have his letters today. I'm thank you, thankful that he continued to endure. He knew he had a mission. He knew he had a mission for Jesus. That was to, to tell others, to help others, to encourage others so that they would boast in Christ. So that those who didn't have hope would learn of Christ and have hope so that those who were scared in the dark would find the shepherd so that they would know this Jesus. Paul said, I can endure this world for a little while for the sake of those who have no hope in Jesus Christ. I can serve him for a little. It's it's momentary light affliction in the scope of eternity. Paul had a mission. It came from Jesus. And Jesus has a mission for you too. He has a task for you. This is what he said to his disciples, and I hope you're one of them. He said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. He gave his disciples a task, a mission. They're now called into service to serve faithfully and diligently. And so rather than devoting our energy to trying to figure out how to escape or hoping to escape... I just want to encourage and challenge you that you give yourself to the mission of Jesus Christ. Do you put your energy into that so that those who won't have a good outcome at the final judgment may hear of the Lord and be saved? That you would sacrifice your comfort for this little tiny while for the sake of others that they too could enjoy eternity with you, with us, forever. That's the mission Jesus has put us on. It's like the firefighter who runs into a burning building to save others, risking his own life for the sake of others. That's what Jesus has called us to do, to run into these spiritual fires for the sake of others who will one day, if they don't hear, will face the fires for eternity. Furthermore, for those of us who long and wish to be with Jesus, we need to remember that we're with Jesus now. That's not the same, but we're with Jesus now, especially when we join him on this mission, because that commission he gave us, it continues. He goes on and he says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you're out sharing the gospel, Jesus is with you. 
When you're not out sharing the gospel, Jesus is with you. I am with you always, he said, to the end. So he's with you now. Enjoy him now. And by the way, the 23rd Psalm, verse 4, says the exact same thing. It says, even when I go through the darkest valleys, first of all, not if, but when. Even when I'm there, even when I go through the valleys, it says I'm not afraid. Why? Because Jesus is with you. He's with you. He's with you right now. Right now. You don't have to leave this place to be with Jesus. He's with you. And by the way, he's also interceding for you at the right hand of the Father as you serve on this mission. Oh, my servant needs this? I pray. Jesus is praying for you right now. For the difficulties in the world, he's praying for you. For all that you're going through, all the discomfort, he's praying for you that you would endure this well for the sake of the mission to share the gospel, the good news to those who haven't heard that you would encourage your brothers and say, he's praying for you right now. <clears throat> By the way, he's also giving you a helper, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in you, the very power of God to dwell with you in this life, in this world. If it was so important you get to the next, he wouldn't give you the helper. He'd just say, hey, hang on, you'll be out of here soon. He gave you a helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower you in this moment, in this time, in this mission. And one more thing. Jesus knew this place would be hard, crazy, difficult. And he didn't say, just hide, hunker down, hope you get out of here soon. In Matthew 10, 16 through 25, he said he's sending his disciples out like sheep among wolves. He didn't say, hey, arm yourself and do this. He said, I know it's going to be tough. I'm sending you out among the wolves. He also said that his people would be handed over to the courts and flogged. I don't see a ton of that going on right now. We all act like it's the craziest thing in the world. We haven't even got close to all of us getting handed over to the courts and flogged. Any of you get flogged this week? Arrested? Put on trial? He says, that's going to happen. So he's not surprised when the world is difficult. When there are dangers out there. But he said, hey, don't worry. Why wouldn't we worry? He says, because the Spirit of the Father will speak through you. We got this. He's got this. You're good. What do we say to the world that's scared, that's in the dark, that's struggling right now? What's the message that we take to them? We tell them about Jesus. We tell them where there's hope. We tell them where they can find salvation from the very wrath of God that's on them because of their sins. We tell them that Jesus died in their place to pay for the price of those sins. He died on a sinner's cross with a criminal on his right and a criminal on his left, and that's where we were supposed to be. But he did it for us. And he was crushed, dead, laid in a tomb, and on the third day rose again, defeating death. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit. He ascended to sit at the right hand where he intercedes for us and he says, I'm with you. The lost world can have that. They don't need the pundits. They don't need the politicians. They need Jesus. That's the message we share to them. And if you're in here and you don't know this message, I just challenged everybody in the room to share the message. So just talk with one of them or come talk with me because this is vital and it's important. It's why we're here. you want to escape 
which is reasonable. And if you want Jesus right now, also reasonable, don't worry. Because Jesus is with you and he comforts you in this dark place. How does Jesus comfort us? Well, that brings us to the next clause. That brings us to the details. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is likely for defense. That word could be translated as club or spear or rod or whacking stick. That'd be a Catherine translation. <laughs> the staff is tied to the idea of guidance and care. And actually, believe it or not, the staff, the, you know, with the crook on the end of it, was kind of used like we talk about the olive branch. If I'm extending in an olive branch, what are we really saying? We're extending peace. Well, that shepherd's staff was used in that kind of term. I found some language about that, usually from governments saying, hey, there's guidance and provision and, and unity, and they, they use the shepherd's staff to communicate that. We use an olive branch, but nobody's actually giving an olive branch. Nobody was actually giving this shepherd's staff, but that was how they saw it. It's guidance and care, and for the shepherd, it's, you know, if it's got the hook on it, it's what they use to guide the sheep, lead the sheep, maneuver the sheep, pull the sheep, push the sheep. One was for the defense of the sheep, the other was for the sheep. Okay, but let's not miss that this is an illustration. Okay, we could easily overread into this. I was tempted. I see lots of preachers temp be very tempted to say, oh, well, this is for this and this is for that. But let's remember, this is an illustration for sheep. A shepherd uses certain tools for sheep. Okay, and the, and the sheep in this illustration were comforted by the shepherd's tools. So now let's think about this in a, in, a, in a good, healthy way. What are the tools Jesus uses to work with us? He doesn't use a spear, and he doesn't use a shepherd's hook with a crook on it. Okay? He doesn't do that. He has tools, and they're far more significant than a club and a staff. And by the way, the tools that Jesus uses should comfort us. So if you're afraid in these dark times, angsty and angry and fearful... If you're not comforted in these dark times, then maybe you're not finding your comfort in his tools. When I find myself afraid, I, I've noticed that's true of me. Oh, I, I didn't trust his tools. I, I didn't find my comfort in his tools. What are the Lord's tools that give us comfort? We're not afraid with these tools because they protect us and they lead us. What are they? Well, first let's talk about protection. Let's think about that for a minute. What is the greatest danger to God's flock right now? Greatest danger. I promise you it's not persecution. I promise you it's not politics. I promise you it is not the changing morals of the world today. It's none of those. Jesus tells us, so does Paul. Matthew 7.15, Jesus tells us it's lies from false prophets and false ideas. Jesus said this, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. And Paul said it this way to the church in Ephesus. He was talking to their pastors, to their elders. In Acts 20, verses 28 through 30, he said, Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased by his own blood. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, 
not sparing the flock. And what are these savages, wolves? Listen to this. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. The greatest danger is lies, which makes sense because the devil is the father of lies. It's the greatest danger today. So from where do we find our protection from this particular danger? In Jesus' tools, what are they? The tools are this. The tools are the knowledge of the word of God, and then the help in that knowledge from the Holy Spirit, and then the help in that knowledge again from our brothers and sisters in a local church. Those are his tools. Those are the tools of the good shepherd. They're help for us. We're supposed to have sound knowledge in the Word of God, and that comes from a lot of different avenues. In one of those ways, it's about preaching, and it's interesting to see how Paul's instructions to Timothy show us how important this is. Paul gives Timothy an instruction to preach God's Word or to teach it rightly. He says, don't teach your own ideas. They're pointless. Don't teach the world's best stuff. It's garbage. Don't teach what's popular. Teach the word of God. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. He says, preach the word or proclaim the word, the Bible, God's word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. That's another way of saying truth, the truth of God. They will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves. That's all those pundits and all those voices we turn to and all the people we pay to give us information. They will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Right teaching, preaching, and understanding of the word is one, and the Holy Spirit helps us to know and remember God's word. That's another tool, the helper from God. In John 14, 26, Jesus says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, from, or excuse me, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. I hope you have your Bible open and the Holy Spirit's illuminating it. I hope in your, your personal readings as you are seeking to understand, the Holy Spirit is helping you. There's another tool. It's the local church. It's, it's brothers and sisters. It's you and me if you're a Christian. It's the local church that helps us know the Word and protects one another by the Word of God. Acts 17.11 tells us about the Bereans. The Bereans were a people more noble than many others. Why? Because they tested the very message that Paul brought to them from Paul. And they tested it how? Against the scriptures to make sure it was true. Everyone, even Paul, were going to make sure it's true. Why? Because they needed to protect themselves and the church from false teaching. They needed to be sure. That's why we do Bible study together. You have an obligation to help your brothers and sisters. In James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, it says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you stray from the truth and someone turns that person back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner back from error, from the, excuse me, from the error of his way, will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You, church, have a role in knowing the truth yourself and knowing it well and helping others to know it. 
so that you can protect your brothers and sisters with the truth of God. Not your opinions, not what your pundit said, your favorite talk show host said. No, the word of God. You have an obligation. You are actually one of those tools of the shepherd to help your fellow sheep. Let's just, as we're starting to wrap up here, let's talk about the tool he uses to lead us. I've said it numerous times. How does Jesus lead us? His voice. He speaks. The sheep know his voice and they follow him. Let's get practical for a minute. How do we hear his voice? How do we know what he says? There's a whole book here of his words. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 say, Happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, the word of God. And he meditates on it day and night. Not three days a year, but day and night. Not every so often around Christmas time, but every day and every night. He meditates on it. He thinks on it. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Or how about Psalm 119, 105? Easy. This is so clear. Your word, talking about God's word that we have written down for us. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. 2 Peter 1.19. Peter says, We also have the prophetic word. He's talking about God's word revealed. Not just the stuff about prophecy, the whole thing. God's word revealed, and he was specifically talking about the Old Testament, and it applies to our whole Bible today. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Listen to this. As to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. These are the tools that Jesus uses to comfort us in the darkness. Are you finding your comfort in the tools? Are you finding your comfort in the Lord's voice? Or are you afraid? Because all the other voices keep making us afraid of the dark. You will be in dark seasons where you can't see the future. You can't see where we're headed. It seems uncertain. You will be, even when I am there, it says, even then. But there is hope and comfort, protection and guidance from Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian in the darkest valley, and maybe that's right now, you have no reason to fear because Jesus is with you and his word brings you comfort. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me, your rod and staff. They come for me. Lord, I beg that you would comfort us and you've told us how through your word. Lord, I, I pray that those of us who are struggling or in doubt or in fear or unsure would be compelled to your word, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate that which would bring us comfort and hope. Lord, that we would comfort one another, that we would encourage one another. Lord, that we would not be a people running out there to all the other voices, but we would run to your voice that we would recognize your voice and follow you. Lord, there's a lot going on that would cause many of us to, to feel like we are in the dark valley, and maybe certainly we are. Lord, let us be comforted because we know you are with us. You're right there in the dark valley too. Lord, let us remember that you probably led us here for your purposes, 
for your good work. And Lord, equip us and empower us to proclaim in this difficult time that there is hope found only in Jesus Christ. And Lord, people right now, it would be so hard to turn to themselves. So Lord, what a, what a grand opportunity we have to proclaim your holy name. Equip us and strengthen us to do that, Lord, and let us not be a people who are afraid, but a people who are comforted. People who fear not because we know that we know that we know that you are with us. And Lord, let us find our comfort in your word. Let us find our guidance from your word. And Lord, let you be glorified by all of it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.